Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedan, founder and CEO of Devian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Christopher Dedian, and today we have Charles Breck, which he is the founder and CEO of Legislate. Charles, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Christopher, for having me. Thank you very much for being on the show. Really intrigued about your new business in regards to making the legal system a bit more modernized and more accessible for everybody, as well as your whole journey of entrepreneurship in Europe. I know that right now you're in England, but before diving into all that, Charles, I just gave a small introduction of who you are and what you do. Do you mind unpacking that a bit more for our listeners and viewers? Sure. So, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Charles. I... Um... I started Legislate two and a half years ago, <clears throat> and um, and full disclaimer, I'm not a lawyer, but in my previous role doing business development, I found it really frustrating how long I needed to wait for lawyers to accept to review simple amendments, and it would take weeks, months, and actually we would lose opportunities post-legal negotiation because buyers would lose budget, they'd lose interest, or they'd get promoted into a different department. So at Legislate, really what we're trying to do is we're trying to empower business users like myself to create and sign contracts without needing to get legal involved at every single step. And the second problem that we're solving, which I think where the the real value comes from using Legislate, is we make the data in the contracts usable and searchable which means that you don't need to faff around looking for the payment terms. You can query your contracts to answer questions like, how many of my employees are on a 30-day notice period? Uh, Because we've made the data in the contracts machine readable. So that's what uh, Legislate does. Charles, I love what you're building right now with your company because I truly do believe as an entrepreneur that I see that there's a place in the marketplace for this need, what you're creating. And I'm blessed right now to be a professional speaker and a peak performance coach. And I'm at a position in my career that most of my one-on-one executive clients are already C-suite execs, top-tier entrepreneurs that already started their business and well on the way of growing it and very successful. But I remember in the beginning of my coaching career, I used to work with a lot of startups and people that are starting up entrepreneurs. And I always used to tell them, just, hey, be careful with documents that you sign, make it the most legal possible when you start a partnership, when you're buying anything, so on and so forth. And I think by accessing these types of tools, it cuts the learning curve for these types of entrepreneurs to really be able to do the things the proper way. What are some of the testimonials that you've gotten in that regards? What are some of the response are you getting with the community when they're finding this product for them? I think um, what makes us unique, and I think why business users and entrepreneurs choose us is we've built a end-to-end contracting solution for non-lawyers. A lot of solutions out there exist for lawyers, and that's great if you're a lawyer. But if you're a business user, 
there isn't really any software that you can use to create and manage your contracts, which means that we've really made it easy to use. We offer the templates, so you don't need your own templates to get started. We offer everything. And then even if we were to compare ourselves to solutions that offer templates, <clears throat> we allow you to customize those templates by answering simple questions. And we offer a lot more flexibility than other platforms. So at the end of the day, um, it's, we're really empowering our users to create, customize, um, and manage their contracts. And, and I think that's the key thing that resonates in their testimonials. Charles, I love that in that regards, in the way you kind of broke that down and what you could really utilize that for. If we shifted towards, now we talked about your customers and the entrepreneurs utilizing this and the value that they're getting, but let's talk about it in the lens of a lawyer and the whole law industry. Are they working in collaboration with you? Is this something that they're for? Are they putting you know sticks in your wheels to stop this whole process because you're literally taking job off their plates or they're all for it? What's that relationship been like in that regards? We're not actually competing with lawyers because the types of contracts that we offer are not typically contracts where they would get involved on a regular basis. They might provide that initial template, but they wouldn't necessarily support, for example, uh, employment contracts, rental agreements, uh, it's very simple NDAs. These are documents that lawyers don't actually enjoy doing. They find they consider them to be relatively low value. Um, and so when we do work with an organization that has a legal team, it's about convincing that legal team that we provide robust documents that they can trust and they can then therefore delegate that work to the business users. Uh, so it's, it's effectively taking time off their plates. And, and I think lawyers, when they uh, speak with us and understand how we position ourselves and what we do, they, they, they do view us as a, as a valid solution uh, in the ecosystem. Beautiful. Okay, so well explained. So essentially, what I understand is that there is still a form of education that has to be uh, delivered to your consumer, as well as the lawyers to understand the value in the marketplace of what your role is within the whole structure of supporting these entrepreneurs to grow their business. And like you said, you're not taking uh, uh, their jobs, but you're actually alleviating the workload for them and that could concentrate on more of their expertise. So I love that aspect. And uh, Charles, so you had mentioned it's been a couple of years that you just started this company. Uh, so I'm guessing it was pretty much in the peak of the pandemic or in the beginning parts of the pandemic. And you're creating somewhat, what I understand, a online business platform. Uh, so there is a huge advantage to do this during uh, the, the pandemic uh, stages. What were some of the advantages in that regards? And what were some of the inconvenience in that regards for a new startup to really build your business during the pandemic? So, so I think that the key thing is um, I would planned to start legislate prior to the pandemic happening, but it just happened that when uh, I started around the 1st of April 2020, it was pretty much when Europe uh, was just starting their lockdowns. So for, for me, it, it didn't have much of an impact because funding was already secured. Though we were just building our first version. And if anything, it, it removed all the distractions that could have happened, um, which meant that it was just, I was focused on coding and so were um, our, our developers. So, so that was great. But um, I think from a, a business perspective, what also helped is we, we, well, people were typically used to signing contracts on paper or via PDF. Um, or, or getting legal involved in person, 
whereas uh, with everyone at home, that wasn't possible. And we actually had uh, a large landlord get in touch with us saying, hey, I've got all these tenants that I need to onboard. I can't do this. Can you help? And property wasn't a sector that I had imagined when I started the company, but we were looking for users and and and, and testimonials and, and we thought, why not? And it worked really well. And that helped prove the technology. And then that helped us then get our next round of funding to build a proper team. Um, so I think that there have been lots of positives um, for us as a business and also as a sector. I think uh, it, it really created awareness for online legal solutions. And, um, and so the, I'd say the, the timing was, was pretty good. And, and I'd say another factor is half our team is based in Spain. And, and that was also as a result of uh, lockdown, not being able to hire locally and then having candidates from Spain, we just thought, well, let's give it a shot because we don't really have a, it would be the same if they were working in the UK. So let's just give it a shot. And it worked out really well. And, and I think that was also one of the best decisions we could have made, but would have been much harder had there not been the pandemic. So um, it's difficult because we're so early and, and also we don't necessarily have examples prior to the pandemic to say if it was a disadvantage or an advantage, but I say there are at least those three positives from um, from the pandemic. I, I love the way that you broke that down. And obviously the last part of making the world smaller during the pandemic, especially when it comes to the business world, like you said, because maybe before we were more um, reserved in hiring people that are not necessarily in the same backyard as you and even in the same country or even in the same continent, we always thought like maybe, you know, those people that we're hiring are like, uh, you know, long-term assistance and all that. But then once you start hiring real people that are within the business that are doing 40 hour work weeks or whatever the case is playing integral role in the business wasn't very uh, normal. And then as this opportunity created itself, you're like, Oh, wait a minute, I'm opening up the possibility to attack or have the option of so many more candidates. So it really is something interesting in that side of the business. Uh, Charles, as you're a new startup, and there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are in the entrepreneur world, I want to break apart the process of getting an idea and bringing it into action and kind of bringing it into the marketplace and have you kind of explain every single element of that in certain regards and tell us some of the points that were difficult and easier within each of that. So the first thing is as an entrepreneur, getting that idea, right? So I think the first step is getting an idea of a business. Then it's putting the, the business plan in place, putting it in action. Then is getting the funding and then actually bringing it to market. So if we broke it down in those four steps, talk to me about the process of how you broke down each of those steps. What were certain things that were difficult throughout those processes? And what were certain things that maybe were easier and you didn't even realize that, oh, wow, like this was a lot easier than I thought. Imagine like the funding aspect of it or whatever the case is. Sure. So the idea yeah, came from experience. And I think um, it, it, personal experience is always um, really useful for finding ideas that are worth pursuing, first of all. And I think the the environment you're in has a huge impact on what you actually come up with. Uh, for example, if I, I notice a lot of student entrepreneurs tend to build businesses around tutoring or, or things that concern them, whereas um, in my case, I was already working at a startup doing business development. And the pain point I had was getting these contracts signed uh, or negotiated quickly enough so that they could get signed. And for me, the trigger was losing deals post-legal negotiation, deals that I've been working on for six plus months and would have been game-changing for the business. 
losing two deals in the space of three months made me think, hang on, if I stay around, it's going to happen a third time for sure. And I don't know if I have the, the motivation or the energy to, to just lose those opportunities. And I, I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I also felt that if I didn't fix this problem as an entrepreneur, I'd have this problem. So um, that's why I thought, actually, this is what I need to do. Um, but, but in terms of getting the funding, I was uh, fortunate enough to, to be mentored by some angel investors. And it was as I was describing the problem and also describing the solution that they felt that this was a business idea. And they said, you know, go do, don't tell anyone about the idea, do some research, try and work out if there are any competitors. And if there aren't any, then, then we'll talk about maybe how we can fund you. And so that's what I did. The, the the solution that we're taking is to use knowledge graphs to model contracts and make them to be able to automate them and make them searchable and i think that was really the unique aspect that they thought ah, that's unique and, and powerful and, and they they knew me from my track record at that company which is why they were willing to to back me but i think um had i tried to get investors outside of that initial circle i wouldn't have succeeded because i was a nobody with no uh external track record mm -hmm. so um so i and i i raised 150,000 um in angel funding just to get started from those angels and, and and friends and family and um so i think that wasn't necessarily the hard part but it, it wasn't hard because i chose to go to tap into the limited network that i had and um and and use that to to go to the next steps so with that funding uh we then had to build a first version of the product. So we, um, well, I, I did try to find a co-founder um, and I think that's kind of the, the next challenge is when you are by yourself or when you don't have much experience, it's difficult to attract co-founders or talent um, because they're like, who are you? And um, I did originally, I did try to tap into some uh, friends from uni, but um, they didn't quite have that entrepreneurial spirit or, uh, faith in me that they were willing to to cross the line. So ended up just working with consultants and contractors just to build that first version. And I I learned how to code so that I could be that extra person in the team coding. And um, and then we when we did have a first version, we were very quick to get users. We immediately went back to those angels that helped us because they were invested in other companies had had relations with other companies in the area. So we we just got early users from day one without charging anything. And I think that was really important to help us understand what what's working, what's not working. And, um, and then we got lucky with that large landlord that helped prove that our technology worked at scale or at least a, a reasonable enough scale to show that we had something special. And with that, we then raised a proper... Um, institutional round uh, just over a million well uh, a million pounds um but again i didn't go to any investors i went to um the ins institutional investors of the previous business where i worked because they knew what i had achieved at that business and they could see what we had achieved with what was objectively not that much funding um in a short period of time and um and I'd say with that million, we, we then turned that MVP into a proper mature product. We, we grew the team from three to 12. 
And, um, and I'd say for the past year and a half, we've been maturing that product, building new functionality, but also working on our go-to-market. And um, I'd say we've, we've done a great job uh, on inbound. We, we currently get over 50,000 organic visitors a month every, well, every month from Google, and that grows 10 to 30% month over month. And, and, it, and that's been thanks to consistently publishing content and, um, and educating our users about the different types of contracts that we offer and um, what the specific clauses mean or, or what situations you want to avoid. But I think where we, as, as a startup, you're constantly focused on go-to-market because until you're uh, profitable, you need, you need revenue and you need customers. So I think the next phase of go-to-market that we're going to en- enter into is um, uh, outbound. And, and I think that's where we, we it, it, to date, it's mainly been founder-driven, which means that I'm the, the bottleneck um, in terms of being able to get customers because my, I'm doing lots of other things. But, um, but, but I'm very excited by this, this new phase. I love the way that you broke that down, Charles, in regards to the idea, how you went about it, how you went to the funding. And there's certain things that I want to kind of correlate and highlight over here. So first of all, when it came to the funding, you were able to know that, hey, if I go an outside funding with the, the small bit of name that I have, and this is nothing taken away from you, but at the period that you were within your business, you're like, how am I going to go about this? You kind of utilize the concept of your network and something that's called essentially the tipping point, that this is something that Malcolm Gladwell talks about, the author of finding the people within your network that have a broader and better network. So they already know you and you already have that relationship. So you said you've already built that relationship in another job. So they know you, it's not just like your name, it's they know your work ethic. And then you go with a product, go with a service, start the initial funding, put it out there, see that it's working. And then from there, Use the same people to go leverage and get even more funding after you have some data, some, some research backing your product and services. So I love the ideology that you're not just going knock on every single door because that is a strategy. It's a numbers game when it comes to marketing, sales, and so on. But I truly believe if you really are eloquently picking the people to go market and speak to, especially when it comes to situations like this of funding, you're going to go so much further, faster, especially if you're collaborating with the right people in that regards. And the way you kind of broke it down, which is beautiful to hear uh, as an entrepreneur. Now, my next question for you, uh, Charles, it's clear that you're successful. I feel like you, you know what you're kind of doing. And if you don't know, you're figuring it out. As you kind of mentioned, you did not know coding. You're like, hey, I'm going this. I need to learn how to do coding. And just that in itself is not at all a small field. So I'm I'm sure that you're very hands-on in that regards. And we can learn a lot from people's successes, but we could also learn from people's failures. I truly believe you learn from your own failures a lot more, but you don't necessarily need to learn only from your failures, but you can learn from other people's difficulties or failures. So my question to you right now within the business, what is something that is not going to plan or dare I say is a bit like failing or there's a place to optimize within the business right now. So what is that thing and how do you go about fixing it? Or how are you thinking about fixing that solution, that problem to make it into a solution within the business? Yeah. So um, I think what one of the things that um, we're in the process of fixing is our business model, because uh, to date we've charged per contract because it, it felt like the right thing to do. We are a contract platform that provides contracts, so we should charge per contract. But um, whilst we do have high volume customers that 
subscribe because they know they're going to create lots of contracts every month and they care about the data in their contracts and the ability to search their contracts because once you reach a certain volume if you're not using our technology it's a real pain to track the data i think for some of the lower volume users um, they would default to a pay-as-you-go subscription where they'll only buy one contract and then that's that. Or they might come back in three months and four months and, and they do. We, we do have that pattern and behavior. Every month we get customers from the previous months because they're, they're coming back. But it's not on a monthly recurring basis because they probably feel that with this per contract mindset, they're not creating enough to justify a subscription mm-hmm. or they maybe feel that then beyond the contract, they're not um, getting enough value to just have the subscription without creating contracts. And, and I think that the problem is the per contract uh, mindset, because actually we offer a lot of value beyond the template and the contract. If anything, the template is the least valuable thing we can offer and um, and we offer a lot of value around the data or even metrics uh, from your contracts. What is your total payroll? What is your total rent? And how does it distribute? And the ability to search. And, and I think um, what we're in the process of testing is what happens if instead of charging per contract, where maybe even some users might think, well, I understand Legislate has all these contracts, but I only want to create one because I only want to pay for the equivalent of one. What happens if we change the subscription to charging per purpose of the contract? So for example, charging per employee or charging per property, because employees and properties are not transactional. You're not going to get rid of them the next month. And um, and on top of that, by offering charging per employee, you can then build employee-specific metrics or package them um, so that you, you're getting everything that that you could, getting all the value from the data in your contracts in a much more um, tailored way. So I think that's something that we're we're going to try and um, and and hopefully get more of the right type of customers. So yeah, I love the fact that you're aware of like certain models. Be like, hey, what's the most valuable way to grow the business? And obviously, recurring business consistently is the model. So, like you said, if we're selling contracts, and in the beginning was a great ideology and a great approach, and honestly, I think it was the the lowest hanging fruit that you had to go for. Now it's how can we leverage it? And you said something in there that was very, very. Uh, interesting, and I want to highlight is the word valuable, right? So it's what value are you bringing to your community? And like you said, people are going to come for that low hanging fruit, which is a contract. But if you're able to show the value of like, hey, you're not just paying for this, you're getting the the stats behind it, you're getting how much it's giving revenue, how much expenses, maybe even you could add an educational aspect within the platform to teach them more about X, Y, and Z, people will be so much more willing to go and pay those monthly fees. So I love the fact that you're aware of that and you're shifting towards that, which is the process of a company that's, you know, in the startup phase. Uh, so Charles, a couple of last questions that I do want to be respectful for your time here. Uh, this show is called the Peak Performance Greatness Show. And I truly believe that everybody has greatness within them and everybody is a peak performing individual, sometimes more than others. It's not always a leveler of like always consistent, but I truly believe what you're saying, what you've built is that you have high levels of performance in your life 
And the way that gets that correlated within your personal life, it has to do with habits and rituals. So my question to you is, what are some of the habits and rituals that you use on a daily basis to be a high-performing entrepreneur? It's quite boring, but I, um, I wake up early, probably 6 a.m. And I, I'm in the office by 7 and um and then i'll leave when i need to leave so that can be anywhere around seven eight and then when i get home again laptops always on in case anything happens and then i'm in bed by 10 11. so i think uh just sticking to that routine of going to bed early waking up early and just powering through means that uh if something goes wrong it's not because i haven't worked hard enough Okay. So you're definitely putting in the hard years. You're putting in the time in that regards. And that's definitely a hefty schedule if you're there from seven to eight ish and all that stuff. When do you spend time to do anything else? Do you have like leisure activities? Do you take breaks? Do you take off on the weekends or something like that? How do you kind of recharge? So I, I do like to do a bit of sport. Um, I've, I've just moved. So that's that routine is completely um, gone out of the window so far, but um, there's a, a gym just next door from the office where they do uh, 30 minute workouts, but it's uh, nine times three minute sessions of exercise and the trainer takes you through. So I think uh, that's something that I'd like to incorporate into my routine because when I do go to the gym, I, I tend to not do enough or not work out hard enough. Whereas I think um, that's something that I'd like to incorporate into my routine. And, and, and at weekends, I, I do work a bit less but, um, and, I, and I do recover a bit more um, with my girlfriend. So I think she's, she's great at, at balancing, but, um, but I feel that I'm also in a phase of my life and career where I can just do this because I, I don't have that many commitments yet. Yeah. Okay. I, I love that. So the fact that you're just aware of where you are within your journey, you know, that this is a marathon and within the marathon, there's little moments of sprints. So if you're sprinting right now, and like you said, you're structured in your life to make that happen right now, love the fact that you're going to potentially sign up to that gym and do some high intensity uh, workouts, which are amazing. So man, congratulations with all that. And Charles, my, my last question for you is as the people are listening to this and really interested in this product, interested in your service, where would be the best place that people could connect with you to know more about you and your product? So uh, I can be found on LinkedIn by searching Charles Breck. There aren't that many of us out there. And um, <clears throat> alternatives, search for us uh, on Google to help our SEO and, uh, and visit our website. What's your website? Legislate.tech. Tech. Beautiful. So everything you mentioned will be in the show notes below. Charles, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much for giving us your insights and good luck with all of your uh, endeavors within this business. Thank you, Christopher. Christopher Dedian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and click that subscribe button. 
Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didier. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day.